get out your Bibles if you would, open them up to the book of Luke. Um, just a few minutes, we're going to let our second through fifth graders go, but for now, just go ahead and, and be seated. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read some scripture together, and I want our young people to be with us as we do that. If you're new to the Bible, it's on page 856, if you grabbed one from the back. If you don't have a Bible, just raise up your hand and Jonathan can bring one to you. So, Kobe needs one. Whatever, upon hearing that she was pregnant with a special child, Mary hurried to her relative Elizabeth to see if it was true that she too was pregnant, as the angel had said. If in her old age, Elizabeth was actually pregnant, as the angel said, then surely she was pregnant, just as the angel had told her. When she entered the house of Zechariah, Mary greeted Elizabeth, and the following happened, Luke chapter 1, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. What is clear in this Christmas story is that the arrival of this baby in the womb of this woman named Mary is an occasion for great joy. Today, we worship with joy in our hearts. This new birth or this new child is celebrated by Zechariah, by Elizabeth, and by one not even born yet, this one in Elizabeth's womb. So after hearing the words from Elizabeth, Mary was overwhelmed with joy, which led her to a song called the Magnificent. And the word Magnificent is Latin for glorifies. And so for today, we're going to look through her eyes of joy to see what joy is ours in Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet as we read Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. May God bless the reading of his word. At this time, if you're a second through fifth grader, you can make your way to the back for your Bible study. Well, what's going on here? What 
is Mary saying in this song? This is a really rich, deep, important passage. And as we look through the eyes of Mary, these eyes of joy, we too have our own joy increase during this holiday season. No doubt the holidays for you is an occasion for joy. You remember good things that have happened during the holidays throughout the course of your life. Maybe family traditions. And for those of you that have young families, you've begun your new traditions, which certainly brings happiness to your soul and laughter to your home. What Mary does here is so significant. There are really two parts of what's going on in this passage. And the first thing that we see is that Mary rejoiced because of what the first advent meant to her. Now, we are in this season called Advent, and each week of Advent, we've talked about a different idea, and that first week was, does anybody remember? Hope? I asked you because I had forgotten for that one second, and, um, and last week was peace, and today we talk about joy, this third week of Advent. We, we are people in Christ that that have a joy that is incredible. And Mary's rejoicing because of this first advent, which means coming, what it meant to her as an individual. She says there in verse 46, my soul magnifies. The word magnifies should make us ask the question, well, what, what kind of magnification are we talking here? I mean, there's a couple of different kinds of magnification. Like you think of uh, a telescope magnifying something really small, like in a, in a Petri dish. Right? That's something that's really small that has to be made bigger so you can understand what it is. That's a type of magnification. This isn't the kind of magnification she's saying here. She's actually talking about the kind of magnification that happens whenever you take a telescope. And you look up into the vast beauty of the sky. And it takes that which is, is magnificent and awesome and so large, it cannot be perceived by the human eye, and it brings it to a place where you begin to understand it. Uh, have any of you all seen this app on, this is surely a message in 2011, I'm using apps in a, as an illustration. Uh, have you seen this app called Starwalk? Have you all seen this app called Starwalk? Where basically what you can do is you can take your iPad and you can... If this isn't a reason to get an iPad, I don't know what is. But uh, you take your iPad and, and you, can, you can hold it up into the, to the sky and then you can actually see the constellations. It takes the sky and it somehow uses it where it shows you the constellations and the stars. You can even do it while you're inside your house, which is really, really weird. And I'm sure that, you know, it's just kind of freaky that they can even do this. You can hold it up and you can look at what's going on up there. And what Mary is doing is she's, she's, she's looking into the vastness of how really wonderful God is through this message that she's received from the angel saying that she's pregnant with a child. She, for a moment, catches a glimpse of the, how awesome God is in a way that she never has before. She catches the vastness and the beauty and the magnificence of God and she rejoices. My soul magnifies the Lord, she says, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She speaks here about God. This something has happened in her. She's learned something about God because of this, this gift to her. She speaks of his faithfulness in verse 48, of his power in verse 49. You see that? For he who is mighty has done great things. 
She speaks of his holiness. There's no error in God's actions to become flesh in her womb. There's nothing inappropriate or improper about it. It's holy, his actions. She speaks of his mercy. Do you know mercy is when God doesn't give us something that we do deserve? And Mary, as, even as innocent as she was, she was not perfect. He, he, God's been merciful to her by not giving her his wrath. Instead, what he does is he gives her a gift that would be a blessing to all of humanity. Verse 50 she says these words, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. It's actually an allusion to Psalm 130, 17, which talks about God's faithfulness to those who obey his words. In spite of our human frailty, God is faithful and provides something to her. She's rejoicing. What it means for Mary is that her life will never be the same. I mean, it wasn't as if Mary were this really popular girl, really well-known by a lot of people in this city that was really powerful. She was a nobody, young, a woman. No, she was lowly in estate. In other words, she had no status, no real significant status. She wasn't married, although she was betrothed to Joseph, engaged. She was a nobody from nowhere, yet God looks into humanity and says, I choose you. I want you to be the one that bears in your womb the God-man, Jesus Christ. Her life will never be the same. She'll forever be remembered, and even to this day is remembered as, as one whose womb was filled with God. She'll receive salvation that wasn't formally available to her. I mean, this is significant. In fact, throughout history, there have been some that have taken this blessing that Mary received, and use it as a means to worship Mary, which we shouldn't do that. She's still a human. It's really all about God, not this person, Mary. Have you ever had something good happen to you out of nowhere? Have you ever just been blessed, just like blindsided with some kind of blessing? I was trying to think of my own life, and certainly I've received lots of blessings, but for some reason, I kept thinking about this one time. Out of nowhere... This isn't going to be a big deal to most of you. Out of nowhere, from a person I barely knew, I got a call. And this guy says to me, I've got two tickets behind the home bench of the Houston Rockets. Any NBA fans in here? There's got to be like two, three. Okay. They're, oh, wow. This, see, these are my favorite people. Okay. So, yeah. Thank you. So here I, I mean, to me, this is like, out of nowhere. I barely knew this person. He just says, hey, I just want to bless you. And I say, okay. Like, this is really, really great. I love the Rockets. I love basketball. And these tickets were actually, I said the home bench. They were, they were behind the, the away bench. And, and they were playing the Utah Jazz. And if you know anything about Rockets basketball, you hate Utah Jazz. It's just kind of like... It's like believing in the Bible, okay? It's like you believe that jazz are really, like, evil, okay? So, and, I re and here I am at the game. For me, this is a huge blessing out of, out of nowhere. Here I am at the game. I'm this from Reuben and I, away from Carlos Boozer. Boozer, all right? And so, and I've, I'm really, I mean, I'm looking around to make sure nobody else is there from my church because I'm hollering at Carlos Boozer, you know, and I'm saying things that I had to repent of later. But anyway, so for, the, for me, this was wonderful. This is silly, but this is a wonderful out of nowhere. I mean, I, I literally was rejoicing. I, I, I don't know if Jeannie's 
Jeannie, we have a sick child, so I'm not sure if Jeannie made it in here or not yet. But, but, uh, but Jeannie would tell you, she could remember, I was ecstatic. I was excited. I was like, Jeannie, I'm going to the Rockets. I'm sitting behind the wave bench for playing the Utah Jazz. I can't, I can't. And I even got this, like, wristband that took me into this, like, special room that most of y'all are never going to get to go in. I mean, to be honest. <laughs> it's a special room. There's, like, pool tables and all kinds of, you know, stuff. And, um, and I was ecstatic. And this is a little thing, but Mary has received the news that she is bearing in her womb the promised Messiah, the one who's going to deliver her people. She rejoices. She rejoiced because of what it meant for her. But do you know that we can rejoice because of what that first advent means for us? What it means is that salvation is available to us. No longer do we have to look to other things for joy. No no longer do we have to rely on other things which provide temporary satisfaction and temporary happiness. We have access to a joy that's deep and thorough and strong and faithful because it's a joy knowing that in Christ there is salvation. We don't have to fret in the midst of the brokenness in our society that oftentimes oppresses and causes stress and strain and struggle. Salvation is here because of that first advent. We're liberated from the oppressive rule of our own desire to disobey God. We can be freed from sin because salvation is here as a result of that first advent. We no longer have to be slaves to sin. No longer do our souls go hungry because Jesus is the God-man, is born, and he is the bread of life. We rejoice because of what Advent means for us. It means that we have an example on how we're to live. We no longer have to wonder how we're to treat the poor and the oppressed, how we're to love other people. We have an example in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This first Advent means that we have a reason to rejoice, not just because he came one time, but because he will come again. The first Advent means that it's, there will be a day where Jesus comes again. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. Chapter 1 First Peter chapter 1, he talks about the significance of this first advent, the arrival, and how it secures for us an inheritance, those of us that are in Jesus Christ. Page 1014, if you have one of our Bibles. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And what he's talking here is about the inheritance that those of us that are in Christ will receive. The full salvation that will receive those people that are in Christ in the end. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the second 
advent, the second coming of Christ in the last time it says there. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you've heard that he came, You've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That first advent means for us that though we encounter various trials in this life, there will be a day when we'll receive our full inheritance. And that stirs joy. Mary also rejoiced because of what advent meant to her people. So the first part, she rejoiced because of what Advent meant for her as an individual. But then she rejoices because of what Advent meant to her people, the Israelites. Now, God has worked in and through Israel throughout history up to this point. He's had a purpose for them. He made a promise to them, and he's kept his promise. And now he's going to work through a different kind of a king, this King Jesus. His kingdom is not going to be an earthly kingdom as Israel understood the kingdom to be. But instead, there, his kingdom was going to be his kingship, the way in which he rules and reigns over people that trust Christ on earth. He'll work through this Savior. Mary rejoices because of this. The, the, the prophets of old talked about one who would come and deliver. And during the 400 years between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament, the rabbis and the students of the law and the students of the Old Testament began reading in the scriptures the prophecies that not, these prophets weren't just talking about one that would come to deliver them from earthly oppression, but about one who would come as a savior and deliver them from eternal consequences of their own sin, of their disobedience to God. Here he is. Mary did not understand it fully. She couldn't have. But she knew that something was different. When, when the name of this child given to her was Emmanuel, God with us, she had to have known that her people were going to benefit from it mightily. And God here is going to set up this new reign and this new rule where he's going to pronounce judgment on the proud. There in verse 51, see it says, he has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's going to pronounce judgment on the rich, the ones who owe their position and their wealth to injustice. God is going to deal with them through this Messiah, through this little baby in her womb. Now it's interesting to think about how Mary is saying that God is going, that, that the arrival of this baby means something for her people because she's saying it in such a way as if it's already happened. The verb tense here in each of these, he has, he has, he has, he has, is an aorist, which means that it's a past completed action. She's saying God has done something. He has done something by putting in my womb this God man. This child. He's done something that's going to benefit my people. It meant for her people the opportunity for salvation. It means for all people the opportunity. 
for salvation. We rejoice because of what Advent means for all people. Not just for us as individuals, right? At Christmas, we ought to not only think about what the arrival of this, this baby means for our individual lives, but we ought to rejoice because it means something for all people. It means something for your spouse. It means something for your neighbor or for your coworker. For those people that are around you that you love because you know God loves them. One beautiful thing about the message of the Bible is it's not just a message for you as an individual. It's a message for people. Part of believing that when Jesus came in the womb of that woman and, and, and believing that he will come again, part of believing that not only not only is it for our own salvation, but it's, it's believing that we are used by God in that message being taken to others. We know that our joy is not only for our benefit. It's not only that so we can feel good at Christmas. It is because our joy is so that other people can see that when God became flesh, it changes things. It changes our demeanor, it changes our temperament, it changes our attitude, it changes the way we live, the way we parent, the way we befriend people, who we befriend. It changes the way we spend our money. It changes things. We rejoice because of what the Advent means for all people, not just our individual lives. We rejoice because we're invited into a community of people who get to worship God together. We're called the called out ones. We rejoice because as people of faith in Jesus Christ, we have hope in a world where there's so much hopelessness. We rejoice because we're invited by God into a movement where God is making his glory known, where he's inviting people, ordinary, broken, lowly people, just like you and me, to be at peace with the king in his kingdom. This is why we rejoice. We rejoice because we're commissioned by God to invite busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. This is why we rejoice. When Jesus was born, he came in the womb of this woman, grew up, much like you and I have. The Bible says it experienced temptations just like we have, yet he did not sin. After about 30 years of life, he began teaching publicly. He began ministering to the marginalized people that were poor and sick. He began listening to the, the outcast of society and rebuking the people that had religion but no relationship with God Almighty. He was more than just talk. Because when the time was right, he willingly went to a cross, was slaughtered for sins he didn't commit. He was righteous. He did not deserve to die, yet he did. But it was all a part of the plan of God that had begun way back in the judgment at the fall. Where God wants to make Real joy possible in the lives and the hearts of people who would never experience joy without God entering history 
and working according to his own glory and according to his own plan to make a way for sins to be forgiven. And this way would be that one innocent lamb, Jesus, would die for sins he'd never committed. That his shed blood would erase our sin. This is the good news of the gospel. Long before you were born, that little baby grew up to be a man who willingly went to the cross, a sinless sacrifice. This is what makes joy possible, believing that though your sins separate you from God, that God made a way for them to be forgiven. As we approach Christmas Day, we are joining with many throughout history who rejoiced. Like those in Mary's day, knowing what a glorious occurrence it is that God came in the flesh. But do you know that the significance of this event, that God became flesh, cannot be overstated, which is why we must be careful during these holidays to go about celebrating the holiday in such a way that we, we recognize and hold up the significance of the fact that God became flesh in the form of this little baby. We want our joy to be the greatest joy possible. And so we really honestly must identify things that can distract us from the real joy. And there are a lot of legitimate ways to celebrate the holiday with gift giving and pretending and, and these sorts of things. But let me just encourage you to think carefully about how you are celebrating in your home, in your conversations. Will you experience the greatest joy that God has made available to you this holiday by reflecting on and remembering that our joy is not in the things of this world, but in God incarnate who's given us new life?